Welcome everyone to another episode of Soul to Soul Connections with Jenny G. I'm your host and producer, Jenny G. Cousins. Now, in order to tune in to catch the show, you'll have to subscribe to my podcast or YouTube channel in order to see these interviews and other content and videos and such like that. You'll see there's on many different platforms. So one way or another, you're going to be able to catch the interviews. Now, the links will be under the video where you can contact my guests and read more about them and so on. And also, by the way, for those of you who have or feel you have a story you'd like to share or something you'd really like to chat about, let me know. Send me a message because you never know. I might say, you know what, let's have a chat. Let's share some information about yourself or a story you'd like to share reach out to me because you never know. Now, before I interview and talk to my guest, I'm just going to read a little bit about his bio and then I'm going to ask him questions. So now this interview means a lot to me because I'm very drawn to this type of energy and work and so on. So my guest today is Carlos Tanner. And Carlos has been studying the science of ayahuasca and plant medicine in the Amazon rainforest since 2003. He currently works as the director of the Awabasca Foundation, a nonprofit organization he began in 2009 in Peru. He organizes healing retreats and educational courses led by healers called Caranderos. I hope I'm pronouncing that wrong. If not, I'm sure he'll, you have to let me know, <laughs> to help people in need of healing anything from depression to cancer, or who are interested in learning the ancestral healing traditions of the Amazon. Now, since 2017, the Awabasca Foundation has also hosted plant medicine research, looking into the effects of treatment with Awabasca on depression, anxiety, and trauma. The research there was published in the journal Frontiers in Psychiatric, demonstrating that attending an Awabasca retreat can produce epigenic changes that significantly reduce depression and anxiety. Research continues at the center and will now include studying chronic pain, PTSD, and changes to the gut biome as a result of attending an Awabasca retreat. And I'm so excited. Thank you, Carlos, and welcome. Welcome, welcome. I am so grateful to have you on here today. Thanks, Jenny. It's great to be here. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm such a huge fan of plant medicine and the energy of what it does to others. Now, what really drew you into getting started with your work? Oh, uh, isn't that a challenging question, right? How far back do you go? Um, <laughs> I think that I had a fondness for psychedelics 
as soon as I was introduced to them before that, even, um, I, I remember my earliest memory is being a very young child and watching the film return of the Jedi, the star Wars, the third film in that series. And there were, uh, Ewoks that lived in, in the jungle and they had a shaman. And you could buy the figurines, which I played with all the time. And my favorite of them all was the shaman Ewok. I didn't know what a shaman was. I didn't know really anything about that. I just knew that that was my favorite character. So I think somehow I had an interest that maybe was before I was born, or at the very least, a collection of influences in my early years. I read... Uh, Carlos Castaneda in high school. That's when I first started experimenting with psychedelics like LSD and psilocybin cubensis mushrooms. And that led me to read uh, Michael Harner's book, The Way of the Shaman, where he describes his uh, experiences with ayahuasca. So that was really when ayahuasca was first like brought to my attention. And then also reading the works of Terence McKenna, uh, who wrote a lot about psilocybin cubensis mushrooms as well as ayahuasca. And so I had it on my radar that I wanted to try ayahuasca, but I knew that I wanted to try it in its native setting, which would have been in the Amazon rainforest of Peru. And then in 2003, I got the chance to do that. Mm. I went to uh, the Amazon for the first time and and had five ayahuasca ceremonies led by a corandero named Don Juan Tangoa. And uh, we connected very, very well. I connected very well with the medicine as well. And he invited me to become his student, um, to apprentice under him and, and to live with him. So in January of 2004, I moved to Iquitos, Peru, right in the heart of the Amazon in Peru. And I moved in with him and his family. And I lived with him for four years, studying the plant medicine traditions of ayahuasca. And after that, I came up with the idea for the Ayahuasca Foundation, which we founded in 2009, and that I continue to work as the director of. And so what drew me, I guess, the fascination of the experience and how it broke down walls of self-limiting beliefs and and expanded my perceptions of reality and, and what consciousness was capable of and what what the human spirit was and you know was, there were so many aspects of it that i just found incredibly fascinating so how do you view healing and what does it mean to be healed that is a very good question um you know i think that we tend to have a very black and white language uh, in fact, language is kind of built to be black and white, meaning like this is this and that is that. And the words seem to imply that it's one or the other type of situation. But healing to me is an improvement in one's well-being. That would be like the simplest way to define it. But I like to look at it in terms of a spectrum. And the, the spectrum I use a lot in my understanding of the complexities of so many situations that are not black and white, that spectrum would have at its furthest end on one side, negative 100, and at the furthest end on the other, positive 100. Now, it's just a 
referential model as to assist in our understanding, but I think it that it works well. So right in the middle would be the zero, and that could be called the neutral point. If you're below zero, you're unhealthy. But there's a whole range of unhealthiness from negative one to negative 100. And if you're above zero, you're healthy. But there's a whole range of healthy from one to positive 100. Anywhere that you might be on that scale, whether it's, let's just throw out a number, negative 30. Uh, negative 30 doesn't actually refer to anything. It's just for the sake of understanding where we're at in terms of our health. If you go from negative 30 to negative 20, that is healing. You have made improvement in the in your well-being. Are you healed? Are you even healthy? Well, no, you're not at a point where you've crossed over to healthy, but you have been healed because you moved from negative 30 to negative 20. And, and that's worthy of recognition. You know, that's good. Good, good job. And but you could also be at 30, positive 30, and move from positive 30 up to positive 40. That's also healing. You weren't unhealthy, yet you weren't perfect. And now you've improved your well-being again. That's healing as well. So whatever improvement you can make to me is is healing. But it's important to also recognize that having been healed or having received healing doesn't mean that you reached the end of the spectrum. It's not black and white like that. Any person who has healed or has received healing, guaranteed they have more healing to do and could be more healed than they are. And and so in that sense, like the spectrum helps us to put things into a, a perspective that is more accurate to the reality of what health means. Yeah. So like, what do you think like the psychedelics like Awabasca are so unique in their ability to produce profound changes to health and well-being? Well, if I could use another example, I like to try to use references. I think they help us to understand. Um, there is a certain frequency spectrum and, and that frequency spectrum really dictates our entire reality. We know it very easily when we refer to our vision. There are seven colors in the visible spectrum. And that are those are the, the red is the lowest frequency, violet is the highest frequency. That is the entirety of the frequency spectrum of light that we can perceive. We have a biological limitation, which is really designed to protect us or to help us. So our eyes take in much more light than we can process. What it means to have a visible spectrum is not the limitations of our eyes. It's a condition that we impose on ourselves by what is called sensory gating. So essentially, we have blinders on that only allow us to access that certain frequency, because if we were to access frequencies above and below that, it would make our lives much more challenging. Mm -hmm. So we have sensory gating for our, our eyes. That's the easiest one to reference. Of course, we also have an audio spectrum, what we what uh, frequencies of sound we can hear. Mm -hmm. We know that 
if you blow a dog whistle, you can't hear it, but the dog can. It makes a sound that we can't hear. Well, our ears can, but again, we have sensory gating as a as a mechanism to enable us to function more in in the lives that we live. So it's something that has most likely changed as as our culture has changed. And you know, obviously, if you're driving a car, you don't want to be seeing things that are reflecting light beyond our visible spectrum or hearing things that are beyond our audible spectrum. Yeah. And all of our senses are that way. Yeah. All of our organs have a limit to what we have access to, even though that organ has to perceive a lot more than what we have access mm -hmm. to. So what psychedelics do, and especially what ayahuasca does, is it reduces sensory gating, or it allows access to more frequency than we normally have access to. So we can actually see beyond the visible spectrum. And that means that we can see the things, the beings that reflect those lights that are normally invisible to us. And we can hear those sounds that are normally inaudible to us. And we can feel those sensations and be aware of more information than we normally have access to. And so there's tremendous value in that. But it needs to be done in a very controlled way, which is why ayahuasca is always consumed in ceremony in a very ritualistic process that enables the safety of that experience and, and enhances that experience. So one example would be that the ceremonies in the Shipibo culture, which is the culture that I know, is are always done in the dark. And you do them in the dark so that you raise the natural sen sensitivity to light by being in the dark. Thus, at that level, with the aid of ayahuasca, you can push beyond the visible spectrum and then see spirits, mm -hmm. which are beings that reflect a frequency of light beyond what we normally are able to see. You can also hear spirits or hear the the sounds the uh, of nature or of beings that are normally outside our realm of perception and then you can also feel a whole range of sensations from all of the other organs that we might collectively call intuition and so there's like a tremendous opportunity to gain access to a wealth of information that is normally inaccessible and to use that information to expand our awareness of ourselves and to find our path forward into improving our health or healing. So what, what is like some of the most important lessons that you've learned in the 20 years of studying with the Awabaska healing traditions? Oh man, I've learned so much, but um, one of the things that sticks out right off the top is the concept uh, within the tradition of being tested. Um, it's something that the Shipibo describe, especially for students, uh, when they're learning that there will be tests. And what tests refer to are challenges, times when things don't seem like they're going right or that things are working against you or that problems have arisen. And, and I love the concept of being tested. I think I apply it all the time in my life now. Um, the goal of being tested is to demonstrate that we have learned and that we're able to overcome the test or to pass it or to ace the test. Mm 
And, and I think that sometimes in life, things might happen to us where we, we kind of take a shake our fist at the universe attitude, like, why me? Why did you do this to me? And, but the concept of test really turns that on its head where you almost feel honored that you're given such a test because you would never be given the test if you weren't able to demonstrate what you've learned to overcome it or to pass it or to ace that test. It's almost like um, in school, you know, in, in first grade, you're not given a calculus test and you're given a test and, and then you pass it, you move on to the second grade. And the tests get harder. Each grade level you go up. Eventually you do take a calculus test. But you're you because you've learned so much along the way, you're actually at that point ready to have a test that at that challenge level, at that difficulty level. Mm-hmm. And and so you know that by passing the test, you will move up to a new grade level, so to speak. Yeah. And and therefore, like when the test comes in your life and it might seem really hard. And you might look at someone else's life and say, "What? Well, how come their their tests are so easy, and you know their life is so easy and mine is so hard?" That's, in my opinion, it's kind of like you know a twelfth grader looking down at the second grader saying, "How come they've got it so easy?" Yeah. And and so our souls are always in some point of our progression, and and the, the challenges we face are a great opportunity for us to demonstrate that we have learned and to show that we do have what it takes to overcome those challenges. And, and I really love that concept that has stayed with me. And I continue to hit that concept continues to help me a lot in my life. So that's definitely one of the things I have learned so many things, Um, but I mean, one of the shattering things was just the reality of spirits. Yeah. Um, When you, when you see and interact with a spirit and, and it's as real as anything else that you might call real. It does um, change the way that you look at the world. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. It sure does. <laughs> How many times have you done Nalabaska? Like, do, do you know roughly? Uh, I, I would say around 700 times. Wow. Wow. Does it get like immune you know, like, I mean, because of course, somebody doing it for the first time, it would affect them differently, wouldn't it? Than if somebody had done it many, many times. Uh, yes and no, but um, it's different every time for sure. You do not build up a tolerance to it, um, but you do become more accustomed to it and your responses to it are and, you know, become more um consistent um but even that can change Uh, i think maybe an example that i hope it's okay i don't think it's disrespectful to use but i think it does fit is sex Mm -hmm. you know like the first time first handful of times that you have sex it's obviously not like the rest but if you've had sex 700 times the 700th and first time isn't like some you know, yeah, it can still it still could be amazing. Yeah, maybe isn't amazing, but you know you couldn't predict it. Yeah, exactly. Every experience, of course, is different. So, yeah. have you like ever like freaked out, like on it, like had like a bad trip from it? Yeah, bad trip is such a. 
an interesting concept, but um, have I had experiences that really shook me up without a doubt? Yeah. Um, they were like really incredible learning experiences. And, um, and so, you know, getting back to the, the previous question about the lessons I've learned, um, one of the things that I've learned so much is just how much control or power that we have in how we respond to experiences and how that really shapes everything. Uh, you know, when when you're in a psychedelic experience and especially in an ayahuasca ceremony, you can have an experience that causes you to have a fear response. And, and for some people, I think the fear response comes naturally because of a, a biological mechanism that is there to protect us and to help us where we constantly compare our current state of being to memories of our past states of being. So like if you woke up this morning and you didn't feel right, like that word where you didn't feel the same as you had felt the last 30 days that you woke up, you would want to notice it. And, and that might mean that you want to get ahead of a flu coming on, or, you know, you'd want to like take an assessment and evaluate like, why you feel differently because it might be very beneficial for you to take action but the, the kind of the goal would be to like bring you back to that status quo kind of baseline feeling that you're that, that you're comfortable with that you recognize as like your normal operating system and ayahuasca definitely does not make you feel like you felt last night or the yeah. day before you know and and so right off the bat you may have concern mm -hmm. as a natural response. And, but usually, you know, like I drank ayahuasca, it's going to make me feel different, yeah. but just as an easy example. So then experiences within the ayahuasca ceremony can cause you to become concerned or to have fear. And man, fear is a crazy influence on our lives. Yeah. When you respond with fear, then it shapes all of your interpretations and all of your interpretations are heavily swayed by fear. And, and that goes back to that spectrum, right? You put fear at one end, the zero neutral point, and then trust or even to the extent of faith on the other end. And where you're at on that spectrum has a tremendous impact on how you interpret your experiences and how you interpret them is how you remember them. And then those memories serve as references to how you respond to future experiences. So have I had experiences where I was very afraid? Definitely. I had experiences where I thought that I was going to die. And, you know, so my the fear that I was feeling shaped my interpretations to such an extent that I interpreted the experience as this is it. I'm going to die. And was I going to die? I look, you know, now I certainly don't think I was. But at the time, I yeah. definitely felt I was. Um, and so the analysis of that experience after was very, very beneficial to see how much I yeah. played a, the most important role in how I perceived the experience, how I interpreted it, and then ultimately how I remembered it. And and then when you look back and you change your interpretations, it changes your memories. And, and that to me is 
a big part of the healing process. Yeah. Because I think sometimes, um, you know, when people have a traumatizing experience, trauma is usually something that's formed in a state of fear. It's a, a fear response that heavily shapes our interpretations. Now, sometimes it's overwhelming. And and so we we can't really manage it. Yeah. Uh, but it does shape our interpretation to form the memories that we have. And working with something like ayahuasca allows us through that expansion of self-awareness or that access to more sensory information to revisit those memories and to be able to reinterpret those experiences more accurately, which then changes how we remember them. And then the negative impact of those referential memories on our responses to current situations changes as well. And, and so, you know, I, navigating the challenges of fear and working towards the highest levels of trust and faith are a really big part of the tradition. And I think a really big part of just life in general. If somebody, um, you know, went into fear, let's say, um, like there is someone there, like a shaman there um, to help that person. Like if they went into like complete, like freak out mode, let's say, because you know, you don't know what's going to happen, really. Like, does the shaman, like, can really calm that person down if need be? Or, you know, do they're like, you know what, they have to go through that, whatever it is they're seeing or feeling or sensing? Well, it's it's both of those things. Um, so, yes, of course, there is. That's why you would also do it in the ceremony and the ceremony being led by someone that really knows what they're doing. We work with indigenous curanderos or shaman from the Shipibo tribe that come from a very long familial lineage and the culture itself has a lineage beyond history. Um, and And how I see that is that that corandero, that ceremony leader, that healer has achieved that highest state of faith. Yeah. And, and so just by being in ceremony with that person, they bring you to a higher level of faith, which could just be, well, I know that this person is going to take care of me. I know that they've got my yeah. back. I know that they know what they're doing right off the bat. You reduce the amount of fear simply from that understanding yeah. but then when they sing and the way that they manage themselves in the ceremony and the way that they work directly with those spirits that they've built relationships with and the complexity of the tradition they're able to transmit their own faith to the patient or to the person so such that the person then brings themselves out of that yeah. state of fear and back towards the neutral state and then into the trust and the faith state. And they do that with a really beautiful uh, method of singing. Um, mm -hmm. But there are also some other techniques, but but the singing is really like the most yeah. um, profound way to achieve that. Yeah. And it's really that transmission of one's faith. And, and I think that we have examples of that, kind of famous examples, like Buddha going to speak to a group of people and his maybe not faith would be the word, but like his enlightenment, like is yeah. transmitted to the people in his presence or Jesus, the stories of Jesus or or any like person mm -hmm. that is revered uh, to have such a high level of consciousness. Um, 
and then how that is then transmitted to people that are in that person's presence that that is how i see like the process yeah. within ceremony yeah. as well which is why it's very important to have someone yeah. that you trust and 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 know will take care of you to lead the ceremony oh yeah yeah i, th I think that'd be kind of crazy if somebody did it on their own you know <laughs> like well that, i mean you know, that I, could be like go either way right like it could but know? it's it's also, I mean, I mentioned Terrence McKenna. He he yeah. almost always drank on his own um, because he did have that trust and faith in himself. Yeah. And, you know, that's great. Like, you know, yeah. we should always try to have as much trust and faith in ourselves. Yes. But um, to quote Mike Tyson, who has now gotten into the psychedelic space, which is like, who would have thought that might have happened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he had a great quote that I use all the time, which is everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. And, you know, so you can have a lot of trust and faith going into an yeah. ayahuasca ceremony, yeah. and then something can happen. And man, yeah. real quick, that trust and faith turns to fear. And, and those are the times when you really want to have that person there for exactly. you to help you through that. Exactly. But there's that element as well. Like they don't, like we're in Daryl can only do so much. Yeah. You yeah. are still you and your thoughts are still your thoughts and your spirit is your spirit. And so there's always a, a really important responsibility each person must take as we all do in our lives. Yeah. We have to take responsibility for our decisions and our actions. And, and so there's work to be done and there's a, participation element you can't just go to a ceremony and sit back and expect all the healing to be done for you oh yeah it's a participatory yeah. event yeah so why are the ceremonies done at night are they are they just only done at night or yes why, they like, are only why is done at why night. is it at night um the, well one element that is the darkness um so you like i mentioned you want to be in the dark so that your eyes become as sensitive as possible. Uh, two would be the energy of, in this case, the, the, the forest, but the energy of the day or the culture, um, it changes when the sun goes down. And, and, and we know that too, actually, like when you wake up, if you wake up before the sun comes up, there's a, a real calm, there's a like a peace and a tranquility and then the sun comes up and like it's noises it starts getting like louder and and the energy changes and and so when you're doing something that is already like highly energetically charged to do it in the in the tranquility of that energy is optimal so if i took like alabasca right now like this very moment how how soon would I start to feel the effects? Would it be like in five minutes or would it be like in like 20 minutes or? Very difficult to, to answer that question. Um, even have, you know, taking the same ayahuasca in multiple ceremonies, it comes on differently. Um, there's so many, it's, it's uh, so complex that I'm not sure anyone could really like figure That's out. Right, yeah or predict but but basically you could say between five and 45 minutes okay it's, I, i'd say it's rare that it's five but yeah. that's happened yeah um probably if you were to like average it it'd be between 20 and 30 minutes for it to come on yeah yeah because i know of course everybody's body's different and 
right and energy and and such like that like there there is somebody i knew and he he used to take lsd quite a bit and he said it would normally come on about 45 minutes after right and i'm like okay <laughs> you know it, it would affect everybody differently of course so so how do you like how do you prepare um so if i'm like okay i'm i'm there to do the ceremony and that of course i know there's different things that we have to do to prepare before we we start that can you tell us why it's important that we would have to prepare before sure i mean you don't have to prepare uh i think that it's beneficial to prepare mm -hmm. but um everyone also like there's a, a whole nother spectrum of preparation you know and and i would say that like as good as you feel about your preparation doesn't always dictate to having the best experience and mm -hmm. vice versa. I mean, you you could have an amazing experience, even though you didn't do that much preparation. Likewise, you could have a, a negative experience or something that you perceived as negative at the time, at least, even though you did great preparation. So um, there's nothing like dry, but I would say that for the most part, beneficial to do some preparation. Uh, so what is the preparation? Well, if you're going to do an ayahuasca retreat, which would be like an extended process, our shortest retreat as an example is 10 days long. It has five ayahuasca ceremonies every other night during those 10 days. And there are a lot of treatments during the day as well. And you're removing yourself from your life for those 10 days. Um, so as opposed to just a ceremony, I think that the preparation is more intense or or would be done for a longer period of time to a deeper level than if you were just maybe, oh, there's a ceremony on Friday. I'm going to do that ceremony. Maybe your preparation wouldn't be as lengthy or as deep. But in general, you want to clean your systems. Um, so, you know, eating healthy um, would definitely be a great idea. I mean, I think it's a great idea all the time, but being really mindful about that when it comes to the darkness and how that relates to increasing sensitivity to our eyes, you could also look at your diet and how um, stimulant it is, like how much stimulants are in your diet. And by reducing the stimulants in your diet, you would also be raising your sensitivities. So for that reason, you'd wanna cut down on sweets and sugary foods and rich foods and salty foods and alcohol and drugs and coffee and like anything that is a stimulant will dull your sensitivity and which is why you end up drinking five cups of coffee a, a day when you only started with one or why you drink 10 beers and when you only used to drink two or you know all of those things because your your sensitivity is dulling and if you've ever gone a week or two without sugar and then you go back and have something sweet. You're like, oh my God, like it's yeah. so sweet because your sensitivity has increased by the reduction of the stimulant. So, so usually a preparation would involve reducing stimulants in your diet, uh, but also reducing just processed foods and things that yeah. we already kind of know are not uh, great for our system. So on the physical side, that would be uh, an important element. Mm -hmm. On the, the consciousness side, which I really look at a lot more, 
um, self-awareness would be the greatest preparation. And by that, I mean, and what I normally recommend is uh, journaling. So raising your attention to be as aware as possible about the programs that you have, what triggers you, what makes you feel joy, but to like, you know, really become aware of that by raising your intention, attention intentionally so that, and then recording that in your journal so that you have a record of this is what triggers me. And then why do I think it triggers me? You know, what, what's behind that, that, that makes me dysregulated like why do i have that response when that type of thing happens to me can i trace these back to the root causes and and so to the best of your ability if you're able to look at your life and recognize the programs that you operate in which are those response interpretation memory cycles um and then to try to navigate them back to their root causes, you go into the process as best equipped with a compass or a roadmap of what do I need to do when I'm in this expanded state of awareness? Again, like getting to the increasing your sensitivity, ayahuasca provides this expanded state of awareness. So if I am striving to reach the highest state of awareness that I can without any like intervention or without, without taking ayahuasca, then when I do take ayahuasca, I will go even further with that state of awareness. So it's all very similar in the sense that I want to be as aware as possible by reducing stimulants, I will increase my sensitivity, which will ultimately allow me to be as aware as possible to all the subtle sensations that might've been dulled through the use of ingesting or a diet of stimulants you know and i want to have my the ceremony in the dark to also like increase my sensitivity so i can go the furthest beyond that that spectrum of normal sensory gating when i take the ayahuasca so all of that to me is the process of achieving the highest level of an expanded state of awareness because through that awareness we gain so much insight so if somebody, so if you started your ceremony at eight o'clock, let's say, um, That's how long, started. yeah, how how long do they last normally? So I took Awabasca at eight o'clock, let's see, how long do your ceremonies go on for the night? Like, is it a couple hours? Is it like, like 10 hours right. or so? Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it, it's also not set in stone um so much of it, it it's, it's very very interesting to see like how much of it is about you um one person could drink ayahuasca and after an hour and a half they might not feel the effects anymore what happened in their process well it's too hard to say but in general yeah. you could say that well they allowed their self-awareness to come back down to a degree that they didn't feel the effects anymore uh, or they allowed their consciousness to come down to a frequency that brought the sensory gating back in um and so for that reason it can go on for 
a, yeah. a long time. Of course, um, yeah. I was just on a retreat just last week. And, uh, and so we had four ceremonies and that last ceremony ended, it started at eight and it ended at three 30 in the morning. That was the longest ceremony. Okay. And, and so I think that that would be a reasonable, whatever that is, seven hours, seven, eight hours. That would be probably the the longest, unless yeah. you were to drink it again, halfway through, which sometimes we do. Um, and the shortest would probably be like four hours. But um, so roughly like five and a half hours would probably be like the yeah. estimate. Mm -hmm. Are there more women or men that normally do the ceremonies and such? Or We have different programs. So our shortest program is 10 days and our longest program is eight weeks. And then we have a four week and an 18 day in between. And the eight week course, I'd say is probably like 65% men and 35% women. And the 10 day retreat is reversed. It's probably 70% women and 30% men. I'm not really sure why that is. But yeah. if you were to like put them all together, it still ends up yeah. being right around 50-50. But it does seem like the longer program granted it's two months living in the jungle yeah. that might have something to do with it. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe availability is different. I'm not really sure, yeah. but, um, but yeah. I would say that in general it's 50, 50, but it does. I have noticed a difference between the lengths of the programs. You have to be like at a certain age. Like if there was somebody, let's say uh, who is 14, for instance, and they experienced trauma or, um, like addiction or, or something like, is there a certain age limit that somebody has to be to, to get some help and to take the program at all? Or for our programs, we, we do limit it to people that are considered adults. So you have to be 18 years old. Um, but that's not because of the cultural abuse. Um, you know, there are children in the indigenous communities. I've drank with children that were eight, um, 11, you know, 14. Um, and so it is certainly something that is done, but we are a business. And um, even just like having a 14 year old come yeah. on their own, you know, um, but yeah. we don't even allow them to come with their yeah. parents. Um, just, it, it, I guess, for legal reasons, probably. Yeah, I mean, there because there's so many people out there who, you know, need help, and it, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure, like, even if it, you know, if it was a younger person and such like that, it could really help them. I mean, of course, you know, I, I understand why, right? I'm I'm very much for natural modalities and natural healing myself. So, with it, it's an interesting question. Yeah. Um, you know, I think in our culture, there's a reason why we have like a drinking age and, and yeah, of course, um, yeah, we yeah, have yeah. some like, and I think you could probably point to some type of neurological science, which I'm certainly no expert in and, and, and look at, at like mature, the maturity of brain development as an example, which might be at 16 or 17 years of age. And, yeah. and so would you want to like do something that might have an impact on brain development you know most people would kind of say no that's not a good idea you should wait yeah. until you're 18 but um but like i said i 
you know, in the in the culture. I, I don't even think that will be true with my own daughter. Um, that I'll wait till she's eighteen. Yeah. But um, but the in the culture, I'd say it's probably like ten or eleven when yeah when children exactly. start to drink ayahuasca down there. Exactly. So, can you share what are plant spirits? Plant spirits for those who are not familiar with that. Sure. Oh man, isn't that I know? A I love it. Um, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, a plant is a living being just like you or I, and it without a doubt has a consciousness. Yeah. And even if you wanted to use kind of classical or, or the modern scientific model, um, it has been sh- demonstrated by an organization called HeartMath Institute, actually, that, uh, that, that, that the evidence of consciousness is, is undeniable in plants. And trees are in constant communication, as all plants are, but their root systems are in constant communication through the mycelial network and through an intricate trading system where they are trading what they produce through the process of photosynthesis with minerals that the mycelial network is able to acquire for them. There was a book written called Entangled Life by Merlin Sheldrake, which talks in depth about that, which is absolutely fascinating. They just made a film about it called Fungi, which will be out next month. Yeah. And um and so there is clearly a lot of intelligence in nature. In fact, with regard to trees, I think it would be fair to say that they have a superior intelligence. We're like having to run around to get all the things that we need, but they have figured out how to stay in one place and grow to be hundreds of years older than us and much stronger and taller and you know they by many metrics, it would be apparent that their intelligence uh, surpasses our own. Ancestrally speaking, they've got a few hundred million years on us, you yeah. know, so they've, they've got some real advantages. So what is a spirit? Well, the spirit would be a non-physical element of that consciousness. Uh, I look at consciousness as everything. I, you know, I think of my body as low frequency consciousness, like a solid state of consciousness, the way that we know ice to be the solid state of water. And I look at my emotional body as the liquid state of consciousness, which would be like the liquid state of water when it's in that frequency range. And and then my thoughts, which are usually what people attribute to consciousness to me are the the gas state of consciousness, like the vapor and they're all subject to different natural laws but to me I, I view them all as consciousness and and so my spirit is the the non-physical element of consciousness or at least it's at a frequency that is typically beyond our sensory perceptive abilities and so trees and plants have spirits just like you and I do um but that they are normally outside our realm of perception and less you take something like ayahuasca, which reduces sensory gating and allows us access to that spectrum of sensory perception. And and so the spirits can take a lot of different forms. Um, you might see a spirit as an animal. Uh, one of the most common types of animals that's seen in ayahuasca ceremonies is that of a snake. It's interesting when we look at the the universal symbol of medicine, 
it is a sword entwined with two snakes. Um, but I think, and, and so other animals might be a jaguar or a hummingbird. I, the way I look at that and my own interpretation is that when a spirit takes the form of an animal like that, I don't know about you, but if I see a hummingbird, which thankfully I get to see when they're in, up around my area often, I stare at it. It gets my attention. If I'm like hanging out, chatting with you and a hummingbird flies by, I will stop talking and I am just going to look and give my attention to that hummingbird. And uh, thankfully, I've never encountered a jaguar in the jungle. And I really am not looking to try to have that experience. But I guarantee you that if I did, yeah. it would have my 100% focused attention, yeah. the entire interaction and a large snake as well. Like yeah. if, yeah. If, uh, if there was a snake in this room, I would be watching yeah. it. Like, yeah, you, I, would. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be like, whatever, it's just a snake. You know, I would definitely give yeah. it my attention. And so I do feel that spirits take forms that will yeah. gain the attention. And yeah. um, and I think that spirits communicate with us in sensations also. And yeah. so sometimes uh, sensations will happen that are like your phone ringing but in interior, you know, like someone wants to speak to you and they call you and your phone rings and you know to, because of the ring, you know to pick it up and talk. Spirits have like their own kind of methods for calling you, but that the the ring is like a sensation or something that happens. Sometimes it literally is a ring where it's like an audible ring that you hear, but that they have ways to interact with us um, that are really designed for us to give them our attention. Mm -hmm. So also spirits come in the form of humans. And I think that is very common. I don't think that they just take the shape of a human, but because we do, and I would see my own spirit as a human because I see myself as a human. Yeah. And, and so they take the shape of a human because it's also very recognizable. Uh, if, you know, if I, if a human walks up to me, I'm happy to speak with that person, you know, like I, yeah. I don't feel like threatened or anything. And, and so spirits will often yeah. take the, the form of a, of a human being. Yeah. Cause I know like during some ceremonies that somebody, you know, like you're, you'll paint, you'll paint your, like your hands and your face and your, your feet and such with fruit. Do you do that in in the ceremony? And what is that used for? Like, why do people um, paint their fruit, fruit on their face and such? Yeah, I mean, um, to be clear, I, it is a fruit, technically, um, but it is a fruit that is used uh, for to make a dye. Yeah. So it is is more like paint. As, just in case, you know, yeah, it's not like it you're looks like strawberries or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so some of the clothing that the Shipibo wear uh, has the patterns of those mm -hmm. mariaciones or those visions on that as well. Those patterns have a specific design that is also associated with a spirit. So a spirit has like a, a frequency pattern 
almost the same way that maybe you've seen, like if you put sand on a plate and you play a, a particular note, it, it forms a pattern. Um, but, and so to put those patterns on you, it, it's already like a communication. It's an invitation. It's like saying, Hey, I want to have your pattern on me or yeah. in me or with me. And the painting of the faces and the hands and the feet, as far as I know, is typically done during a plant dieta. And a plant dieta is, is kind of the, the pathway for a corandero to become a corandero. So for a student to study, they, they go off for extended periods where they have a very, very limited diet um, and they're in seclusion. So they have very, very limited uh, stimulation, even in, in the sense of talking to people or seeing people. And it's like a, a, a silent meditation almost but they're ingesting a one particular plant extract so that they can become familiar and build a relationship with the spirit of that plant. And so for that, you would paint your face and your hands and your feet. And, and again, that's like an invitation for the spirit to come to be with you mm -hmm. and to demonstrate that that is your intention visually, mm -hmm. but also to let anyone else in the community know don't talk to me right now, you know, don't like yeah. approach me or try to stimulate me in any way because I'm doing this process of a dieta. Yeah. So I don't know if it's something I'm not familiar with. It's something being just for a ceremony. I'd say it's respect but, too, in a way, like it, it shows respect to the spirits yeah. and such. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then yeah. also beyond, I'm glad you said that because it also shows beyond that our love and how much we care yeah. and you know when when we put on a particular outfit even just in our culture there's a, a desire to like demonstrate that we care and especially if we're dressing up for someone like oh okay i'm gonna go see this person i'm gonna pick out this really nice yeah. outfit i'm gonna maybe put on this nice perfume or cologne or something i'm gonna give a lot of thought to this because i care and and so in that sense, we demonstrate how much we care in a lot of different ways. But one of the ways is definitely how we present ourselves. So I, I think that like demonstrating how much you care yeah. is a really Im important part. Mm -hmm. And and that it translates into like some of the things that I was talking about with preparation. Like if you really care, then, yeah, I'm going to want to do these things and I'm going to want to give up you know, some of these pleasures or some of these habits, because I care so much. And, and we see that in our own relationships, you know, if yeah. you care enough to marry someone, yeah, along with the marriage is that you give up a bunch of things. Yeah, like there's a, a, bit, a bunch of aspects of your life that you do, but you would never define your, your relationship by yeah. the things you give up. Yeah. You define it by the love that you share and how much you care. And I think that's a good way to understand like yeah. working with plant spirits as well. Because I know some people will smoke the alabasca. Do you offer the drink or the smoke? Do you give people, you can either drink it or you can smoke it or do you combine the both of them or? No, I'm not sure uh, who smokes it. 
but you could smoke it. I don't think that's ever been um, part of the indigenous tradition, at least not that I'm aware of. Now, there's over 100 tribes that use ayahuasca, so I'm not totally sure. But I think that it sounds like that's something that would probably be outside of the tradition. Looking at ayahuasca as a mononamine oxidase inhibitor, which is like kind of the modern scientific view of it and its active ingredients of harmine and harmaline and how they act on the gut to prevent mm-hmm. enzymes from breaking down other stuff. Like I acknowledge all of that. I'm certainly not in denial of that, but I'm not, you know, a, yeah. a shaman would never describe yeah. it that way. Yeah. Um, so it's always drunk and it's a combination of the ayahuasca vine and a plant yeah. called chacruna. And those two are boiled together to make yeah. this tea that really produces the experience. Now they're smoking, a lot of smoking is done in a ceremony, just not ayahuasca. Yeah. It's a form of tobacco or in the same family as tobacco. It's called uh, Nicotiana rustica. Hmm. And they refer to it as mapacho. It's like the cousin of tobacco. You could say it's in the same family, but not the same species. Mm -hmm. And, And that is used as an important bridge between the two worlds. So um, mapacho smoke is something that is used a lot in treatments outside of ceremonies and especially in ceremonies where the mapacho is um, yeah. is a tool that enhances mm-hmm. access to that higher realm. And what I mean by higher realm, I think could be also understood in that description of frequency. So I described like our frequency of reality. One way to look at that would be as if it were an octave in uh, music. So if you ever studied even rudimentary music, you would know that there's like a scale, a C scale is, or, or the general notes of a scale would be A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and then the eighth would be A. Mm-hmm. And that's called an octave. Now, the second A is also the first note of an octave that exists above it. And there's that first A is the eighth note of the octave below it. Those are referencing frequency spectrums. And and so our reality is also like an octave. And in fact, the seven colors are a reference to the seven notes of the octave, if you wanted to look at it that way as an easy way to understand it. And and so above this octave of the reality that we live in is another octave, and it's a whole other reality. And that's the realm of spirits that they would call the, the world of spirits, yeah. the higher dimension, whatever you want to call it, but mm-hmm. as a way to understand it. Uh, so mm-hmm. like all of those spirits live yeah. all their lives out the same way we're living ours except they live it in a frequency that is on a higher level than ours. And so ayahuasca and the work of the coranderos on that tradition allows those two to overlap. Yeah. That that note that is the, the top of our octave and the bottom of their octave becomes expanded such that they bring the, the spiritual world down into ours. And we then do yep. our best to raise up into theirs. Their frequency. And, and right. And so it's that overlap of frequency that allows that contact and that interaction to take place, which is so valuable for us and can provide so much insight and healing for us. 
So now, I mean, like your website is extraordinary. Like I love the courses that is offered. And I mean, I, I think it's done really well, like really, really well. You know, it, it offers so much. It tells you about like the days, what to expect and so on and such like that. And then the trek into the jungle to get to actually where you are. You know, it, it's that journey from the minute you arrive at the airport the journey to arriving at the center i think it's it's all put together really well so somebody like i mean i could ask you 101 questions like believe me i could talk to you for hours but if somebody wanted to really you know like read your website and and find out more information about you what's the best way for them to to get in contact with you or Sure. Well, of course, to visit the website, which is ayahuascafoundation.org. Um, and through that, connects yeah. you basically to everything, all of our social media channels. But if you're on social media, you can find us um, by looking up Ayahuasca Foundation. It's not always the same on X. Yeah. We're at Ayahuasca Found on um, <laughs> Instagram. I think we are at Ayahuasca Foundation and uh, Facebook, we're Ayahuasca Retreats. But basically, if yeah. if you search yeah. for Ayahuasca Foundation, you will find, find us. It. And on the website, also in the um, review section, there's a whole section on with videos. Uh, I'll put this one up at, on the website as well. But there's a number of like podcast interviews, some written interviews. And I did a 10 episode series on our YouTube channel wow. called Lessons from Ayahuasca. And I think that that's a, a great place to start and an easy way to get a grasp on like all of the potential opportunities that ayahuasca retreats can provide. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, it's endless. It's literally, that's why I could easily talk to you for days on end. Right. Cause there's so much information and I'm, I'm a huge fan of it and the natural healing. I mean, the plants, I mean, I'm a huge plant person as it is, you know, like even the trees, they have their own heartbeat, just the energy. And I believe there is a cure for every disease on this planet by a plant. That That's how I see things personally myself. I really do. I really do. So that's another reason why I'm like, I have to talk to you and such, right? So, well, I, yeah. I, I, I know we're winding things up, but one last thought about that. Like, I agree with you, Yeah. but I also believe that we have the potential and the power to heal ourselves of every yes. illness yeah. on our own. Yeah. What plants do is that same element of what a shaman does in a ceremony, at least in, in my view, plants have such an unshakable faith. Yeah. There is not one minute percentage of doubt in a plant. It is 100% connected to the earth and has the utmost faith in the power of the earth and that energy that is accessible to us as well. And so when we invite plant medicines into our world, into our being and our systems, we are incorporating that depth of faith into our being to raise our own amount of faith to such a degree that we can then access and utilize that same healing energy in ourselves. I mean, even like I've, I've told other people that, you know, I, I have a lot of plants always do. And, you know, even a couple of days ago, I mean, my windows are closed. It's winter here. And I mean, there's no fans going or air conditioner or anything like that. And the, the leaves on the plants were dancing. 
right? You know, you know, and I and I kind of looked over and I'm like, okay, did I, you know, like so I started to question myself again, but yet I knew. And it's like the leaves were moving. I mean, I love a lot of music and such too. And I noticed too that on some music, you know, certain plants will move. And it's not because there's something like a window's open or something like that. I think, you know, it's just amazing. Just, I love it. I love it. Anyone who has been outside in nature yeah. uh, with the right attitude, also like just being in nature yeah. is a healing. Yeah. And, and so, you know, if we're, if we're going to end with like one easy, simple recommendation, get outside, be in nature, recognize the mystery and the wonder of nature, something that we did as children when we could sit and watch an insect crawl or inspect yeah. the intricacies of a leaf, all of that magic and wonder never left nature. It's still right there. And when we bring ourselves to the same level of fascination we had as children to recognize the magic and mystery of nature, we invite that faith to become a part of our being again and elevate ourselves and our potential to heal. Yeah, it's a really good way to get grounded. Really good way to get grounded. I mean, even going to hug a tree, you know, if you're really kind of stressed out or unbalanced, hug a tree, you know, and you'll notice that you start to calm down. Definitely. Great. You know, I talk to the trees. Yeah. If I go out, I don't bring people with me. I had, I did that one time. My friend goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm talking to this plant or I'm talking to this tree. And I mean, like he knows me, but he's like, okay, <laughs> I guess that's just another part of, you know, I'm like, yeah. Right. Well, caring about nature is something oh, I don't think yeah. anyone would deny. Yeah. And how we express that care might get some weird looks sometimes, but it's really about the motivations behind it, which is a true caring for nature, a true gratitude and appreciation because we are nature. Yeah. And we are supposed to be intimately connected to nature the same way all of the other living beings yeah. of nature are. And so reconnecting to that intuition, that receiving of energy and guidance and wisdom is a really important part of the plant medicine tradition and it should be a really important part of our lives. However, we, whatever yeah. path we take, however we choose to live our lives. Because can you imagine realistically, if there was a planet with no trees, like no trees and no plants. Like that would be really kind of hard to even grasp. That would be like a sci-fi movie or something, right? But, <laughs> you know, but like no planets, like, I mean, no plants, no, no trees. You know, we could have grass, let's say, and that's it. But that's it. Can you imagine? I couldn't even, I wouldn't even want to. I'd be like, okay, I'm checking out. Like I'm just... <laughs> no i'm just i'm done right you know i think so. i'm optimistic enough to, to to be curious about the nature <laughs> of the planet anyway you know like yeah. the planet is a yeah. living being that must still have a pretty cool voice and you know i look at some insects or animals and yeah. and they're not like as no mobile or whatever as others but they still have their particular personalities but i think the comparison is a great way to easily remind us of how blessed we are to live on the planet that we do and how grateful we are to be able to be a human being walk on this earth and live our lives that we get to the, that we get to live be great i mean i'm also an animal communicator and and i hear messages like non-stop you know from animals that are passed on and animals that are present and the energies that they're around and it's 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 just 
It's extraordinary. And I call an animal even an ant or even an elephant or even a whale, right? Even though they have different names, but I call animals your animals and, and they're all gifts with messages for all of us. If we pay attention, mm -hmm. that's how I see things. So definitely. But Carlos, I mean, you know, like I said, I could talk to you for hours and hours and days and days and days and days and days. So um, I want to thank you for coming on. And um, even next year, I'm going to I'm going to start doing more live shows and such like that. And and I wanted to do certain interviews more one on one. So that way somebody can go back and even, you know, get to know you more and the information and who you are and such like that. So I think it'd be awesome next year sometime if you come back, do a live show, we can get some people in and ask you a lot of different questions. Because seriously, if I wanted to learn about it or do ceremony, I would go to your retreat. I've looked at a lot of different ones of them and I was really drawn to yours. So, you know, this is why I'm like, yeah, I got to talk to Carlos. Nice. Well, I appreciate you reaching out. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Oh, no worries. And now thank you everyone for tuning in. Um, to another episode of Soul to Soul Connections with Jenny G. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast, my YouTube channel, in order to catch these episodes and interviews and such and other content. And don't forget, if you would like to have a chat and share your story or something you'd really, really like to talk about, reach out. You never know. I might just reach out to you and say, you know what? Let's do an interview. Let's have a chat. So again, thank you so much, Carlos, for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you again for having me on your show. You're very welcome. And until next time, you guys, namaste. Have a wonderful day. <laughs>